and we're back, students. It's another episode of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. It's Lakers Fast Break University and Lakers History 101. So please find your seats, students. Find your seats. Make sure you're, you know, got everything up front. You're all ready to take notes because today's lecture will be on the doomed season for the Lakers in 2003-2004. Absolutely. So unfortunate times for the team as it started off so well. And the Lakers were, we were actually, I'm sure, fans around that time. I know I was. I was already counting. Hmm. One, two, three, four, four rings looking good. Yeah, yeah, right in a row. Absolutely be looking good right there in the trophy case because the way they started off, they start off like gangbusters. Out of any of the seasons in those early 2000s, they started off the best in 2003, 2004, but it all went awry due to injuries. You thought, hey, They've got Hall of Famers left and right. You've got Phil Jackson. You've got the glove, Gary Payton, Carl Malone, Shaq, Kobe Bryant. What could possibly go wrong? Well, a myriad of things, unfortunately, after a great start went wrong. And it fortunately led to a team that, you know, is considered by many to be one of the best teams never to have won an NBA title. And here today to talk about What's going on with this team as far as Lakers History 101? Three esteemed members of the Lakers Fast Break University are here with us today. First up, first man here, it is, of course, the guy behind Lakers History 101's greatest lectures. It is the guy behind Ox1947 at LakersBall.com also as well. Symblades, SymblatesWithAY.com. It is, of course, Joe Soro. Professor Joe Soro, indeed. Professor, when you look back upon the year 2003-2004, this season, per se, what really comes to mind? Because for me, it's about what should have been, what could have been, but ultimately, what wasn't. Well, uh, unfortunately, the season was marred by Kobe's Colorado incident. Mm -hmm. And the excitement of having... Gary Payton and Carl Malone wasn't on par to what happened to today with the Dodgers, but I remember there was massive buzz because everyone was surprised that Carl Malone took the 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 minimum, and yeah. Gary Payton took the mid level exception at that time, and they were both there during the press conference, just answering every question and you could just feel the buzz in the room. And then they started that year 18 and three and they shellacked the Spurs really, really good. I think it was late November, if I remember correctly. And I remember it was, it was a funny play that happened where Tony Parker was supposed to call a timeout. Uh, I guess he didn't see pop calling a timeout and ended up <laughs> going to the hole and just doing one of these, acrobatic, terrible layups and hit the rim. And then Lakers ended up going uh, on, a, on a quick, fast break and getting a score. And then obviously the time I got called, I remember I was watching that game thinking, man, Spurs are toast. They're gonna, or Lakers are going to oh, just, they're going to get revenge from 03. Uh, this would have been the four out of five title, not the four peak. The four peak was the year before. Kobe's situation didn't affect Kobe in a lot of ways, Kobe was able to harness himself enough to where he could still perform. The thing that killed us, or I should say killed the Lakers, was Scott Williams falling on Carl Malone's knee. That changed the the path for the Lakers that season. If The trajectory, so to speak. Yeah, if Carl Malone does not get hurt, they have a little bit more firepower. The problem with Gary Payton in the finals was he was getting destroyed by Chauncey Billups, he couldn't stay in front of him and was getting called for fouls pretty much every every other play. But Phil Jackson put Derek Fisher back in, who was playing pretty much on one leg. Fox was not was rendered useless at that point. Boris Grant, same thing. We had to start uh, Slava Medvedenko once Carl uh, Malone finally succumbed to his injuries. And then, of course, the game, what was it? Um, uh, game four. Shaq had one of his one of it. He was on pace to have one of an all-time great game, and 
uh, Kobe shot the Lakers out of the game in that game. It was, it was, and, and Kobe admitted to this, that he cost the Lakers the title in, in 04. And I, I believe him. It was his worst series of his career. And the, the unfortunate part about that season is not winning. I would not have minded if Shaq had left either way, uh, but winning it was important. And unfortunately they just couldn't muster enough chemistry or muster enough between Kobe and Shaq to care enough to win that series. They were too busy thinking about themselves. And it's that series that I finally realized that Kobe Bryant was never going to be Michael Jordan. That was, that was the season. That was the series that told me that he's, it, that was going to be tainted because I really believed he was losing in 03 wasn't as bad as losing that series that, that even though it was, it would have been nice to win an 03 to get a four peak because you know, no one does that. Uh, the only team that ever did that in the NBA was obviously the Celtics. And then uh, as far as hockey in recent memory was the Islanders, but that, that year just kind of, put a sour taste in my mouth about how the whole situation. And it also cost the Olympic team the gold because Kobe was going to play in the Olympics that year. And of course, dealing with what, with what he was dealing with, I uh, decided to pass and uh, we saw what happened there. So just an overall bad, bad year with some really great games. Kobe's last, uh, regular season game in Portland, uh, tearing Portland's heart, ass, arm, leg, brain out in, in, in consecutive last-second shots in the fourth and in overtime. I unfortunately did not see that game live. I, I watched it on my update on my phone, and I remember seeing on my phone when it got refreshed, they won by one, and I'm like, how the hell did they get a three with one second left? And then I saw the highlights and I saw what happened. <laughs> a lot of great games, a lot of memories of that year being very, very good. But unfortunately, it was marred by Kobe's uh, court case. And of course, Shaq and Kobe not just hanging on for one more series together and winning it enough or playing well enough together to to send out Shaq with a title. And it, it, that, that series changes both, both players' careers. And I have mentioned this several times because it's a subject I, I, I always like to bring up. Uh, Kobe and Shaq losing their two finals. Kobe losing in 04, Shaq losing in 04, Shaq losing in 95, and Kobe losing in 08. Those were defining. Those are defining losses. The losses that change places at at, at, the, at the podium. If Shaquille O'Neal wins in '95, which he was favored to win, wins in '04, which he was favored to win, Kobe in '04 favored to win, '08 favored to win, their careers are different. I still say to this day that if Kobe wins '04 and '08, he has seven titles and he's sitting next to Jordan. Shaq is sitting next to Kareem, probably maybe even more as the greatest center in NBA history. You, you can have an argument at that point. And uh, that's that's what I think about when I think about the 04 season. It's that one year that kind of made me realize that I do hate losing more than I love winning. Once again, it is Lakers History 101. It is the doomed season of 2003-2004. And also here today is a good man indeed. He is the madman from Toronto. He did get out of Toronto traffic to go ahead and conduct class today on the 2003-2004 season that wasn't ultimately after such a promising start. It is the Magic Man, Sean Grice. And Sean, unfortunately, like, I, like Joe said, so many things worked eventually against the Lakers, including a masterful game plan by Detroit as far as the way they schemed against the Lakers. But we'll talk about that later in the program, as far as how that was set up. Your thoughts, though, as you were watching the, the season progress, or I should say digress, in regards to the Lakers, still, even after all those 
transgressions with Kobe, the falling out was starting to happen between Shaq and Kobe. You could see it happening in the news as far as articles in the locker room, the comments being made, the drifting starting already. The Lakers still dominated a great portion of that season, season including you know overcoming Carl Malone's injury. Your thoughts on the season that was in 2003-2004? Yeah, uh, so uh, for all our Argentinian fans of the Lakers fast break and of the Lakers. And we Joe, do have a few. Yeah. Joe Soro does not speak for, for us. Um, Argentina deserved that 2004 Olympic gold medal. As a matter of fact, uh, as history serves, the United States didn't even make it to the gold medal game. Argentina defeated them in the semifinals before they could even get there. And secondly, that was a that was a lot a big signature season for a lot of Kobe moments, Gerald, and good ones. Not like I I, I realized uh, Eagle Colorado is a big part of that season. I happen to think of you know the best Christmas day game the NBA ever had. Unfortunately, we were on the uh, the losing end of that one, but it was the most entertaining one, and they had built it up um, effectively from seemingly the, the the day of the trade. It's almost as ESPN was teasing that all summer long, and obviously clinching the 18th uh, division title, which was important back then. I mean, that was this is 20 years ago when division titles meant something. Um, you actually had home court for something like that. So that was important. And on the last day of the season uh, as well, two buzzer beaters. Like when I think of Kobe's best buzzer beaters, I think of those two at the top along with Phoenix and obviously going left with uh, with the D-Wade. Those are they're in my top four. Uh, yeah, it was a season of, uh, you know, untapped uh championship season Gerald. however i will say this um at, at that point in time the, the west was starting to come on a little bit unfortunately there was nobody really strong enough for to take on the lakers they basically cruised to the until they got to the finals um it's just a lot of what ifs in that season. That's why I, I kind of don't like talking about it because it's a lot of what ifs. This is Raphael from NBADraftJunkies.com and you are listening to the Lakers Fast Break. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. My last movie that I saw in the theaters was the last Skywalker? I know condolences to me. Oh, so. Wow, man! Right, I I just had talked about that, and I completely forgot that I saw that movie. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> that it doesn't speak great things about it, I suppose. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. Catch our shows on Worldwide Radio seven days a week, and wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, it is Lakers History 101 here at Lakers Fast Break University. It is Professor's Magic Man, Sean Grice, Professor Joe Soro as well. It is me, the Dean of University Studies, Gerald Glassford. Thanks so much for watching and listening. But also here today, excellent man indeed. I wish he was here more often for our classes. He actually asked to be here for this specific class. So please, as a man who knows the scene that's going on, back then and now for the Detroit Pistons, but also as well as an ardent Lakers fan. It is an esteemed member of the faculty. Indeed, it is Professor L. Rob. L. Rob, great to have you here, my friend. Let me ask you this. The memories of, of 2003, 2004, it started off so well. It started off so strong for the Lakers. What went wrong, my friend, in your eyes in this season that was ultimately a force, a four-peat that was ultimately not going to be? It, it was well, not a four-peat. It was four out of five. Well, I like to say four-peat. It's not a four-peat, though. Yeah, the Spurs were the defending champions. So 
Uh, Joe is right. Thanks for thanks for having me. Um, I like Fort Pete there better. Sounds better. Yeah, I don't. This this season, uh, yeah, being a native Detroiter, this season uh, hurt a little extra special. It's nothing like um, having Pistons fans going at you on a daily basis, and uh, oh man, bad bad memories. But basically, it's uh, no country for old men. It's the it's the theme of that season. The Lakers got, you know, a major coup, one of the first super teams when they got Peyton and and um and Malone to agree to come. Like uh like uh Joe said, I think one of them got the you know minimum and the other one took a mid level exception. And everybody was ready to hand the Lakers the title. You know, Carl Malone was forty years old. <laughs> I mean, people forget that because he was in such a—he was such a great physical specimen. Um, um, similar, probably in build to um, George McGinnis. Now that I think about it, so rest, uh, in, peace. rest in peace, rest yes, in peace, Big George. Um, but yeah, Malone was just such a great physical specimen in such great shape that even at forty years old, um, he was still a good player. But. You know, guys break down at that age. And Malone, who had been an Iron Man his whole career, um, I don't know. Lakers got out of the gate fast. Um, you know, probably was twenty and five, something like that. Some great record when Malone. It was got eighteen hit. and three. Yeah, Joe said that was just really a gaudy record. Yeah, I mean they were they were cruising, and and uh, when Malone got hurt, uh, they you know they still held it together. And still ended up second, I think a game or two behind Minnesota for for second place in the in the conference, but um, it was hard to recapture that magic. I think um, that's probably the, the big thing was the Malone injury kind of hurt the trajectory of the season. Um, and like Joe said, the bigger one, I, you know, I was, I was always a big Gary Payton fan. So when the Lakers got him, I was happy for him and won him the winning championship. But I mean, he was undressed in the finals um, and he was, uh, I, one of the few times you see a very a great player lose his confidence, and and Billups and Ripman, those guys got into him, and he got to the point where the Pistons would pack in the paint, and GP wouldn't even shoot it. I mean, he would not. He he took twenty eight shots in the finals in five games. Think about that. He took five shots a game. He would not pull the trigger. Um, and of course, Kobe was ridiculous with his shot selection. Um, Pistons head length with with Tayshawn on him. They crowded him. They pushed up on him, wanted him to go to the basket. And when you went to the basket, you had the Wallace boys back there waiting on you at the hoop. And it was very hard to finish over those guys, even for Kobe. I mean, the Pistons was a great defensive team. You know, let's call it like it is. And Lakers, people, we, we all remember Kobe shooting woes. But when you think about that series, no one, no one on the Lakers could buy a basket. I mean, Shaq was dominant. Shaq was Shaq. Um, and like the guy said, he had that one game where he was 16 out of 20 and was just killing them. And then, you know, Lakers, Kobe specifically, wouldn't wouldn't milk it and wanted to, you know, make sure he got his shots off. But no one on the Lakers. Uh, let's see. Kobe shot 38%. Fisher shot 30%. Devin George, 39%. Peyton, 32%. Malone, 33%. Slava 35. They didn't have one player shoot over 40% in the series except for Shaq. Um, you're not beating a, a good team like the Pistons. Malone well, they also, Larry Brown instituted a hard double on Kobe. That's something that, that a lot of people or a lot of, don't remember or a lot of teams did not do to scheme against the Lakers. They would always double team against Shaq. This time, Larry Brown decided you know what ben wallace rasheed wallace whatever whoever's down there with shack you're on your own i'm going to double team kobe out front and that was something that the lakers and phil jackson did not eventually scheme or overcome because it just it seemed like that you know they they threw this out at kobe l rob it just seemed that like they couldn't ever figure it out throughout the entire series how to absolutely. figure it out yeah, absolutely they that being checking one-on-one and of course, that was he was no match as good a beat defender as Ben Wallace was. Um, you know, that was that was suicide. And Shaq was was like you say, barbecue chicken. He was killing him. 
Uh, but Wallace was out hustling them. Shaq was killing them scoring wise. But Wallace was all over the boards and making, you know, steals and defensive plays, doing Ben Wallace things. So um, he had a very good series as well. The probably one of the things that people don't remember about that year, and me being in Detroit, I remember vividly, the Pistons were on like a five-game losing streak. They were flailing. They were they were in trouble at the at the trade deadline. Portland trades received Wallace to Atlanta. I think he played one game, one or two games with the Hawks. They released him. One game with the Hawks. One game, John. They released Wallace. The Pistons ended up picking up Rasheed. Up until then, yes, they were a very good team, um, but they couldn't figure out how to get over the hump. And when they got Rasheed, uh, I think they went they went like 20 and 5 or something like that over the rest of the once he got put into the starting lineup after a couple games. They went on a tear you know, holding teams to under 70 points and, and they just became a dominant team. Uh, I think Boston made a trade to help, to help that trade or somehow Boston got their hands involved with it to help the Pistons out um, and of course hurt the Lakers. And maybe that was payback for us getting Michael Thompson in 87, right at the deadline. Uh, I think one of them picked up Lindsey Hunter and then they released him, and the Pistons got him right back. I mean, every move they made right at that deadline, they gave them Mike James. So they had this very, very deep team with Mike James and Lindsey Hunter attacking guys on defense coming in with the second unit. Um, they were really good. But, yeah, a lot of things fell their way right at the, at the all-star, right at the trade deadline that made them, uh, put them in a real good place. Joe, let me ask you this. When it comes to maybe something that was – could have been done differently or schemed out differently by Phil Jackson. We often call Phil Jackson one of the greatest head coaches in the history of professional sports. I mean, he has the resume and pedigree to do it. I know a lot of people, you know, that are out there that are Phil Jackson haters. They talk about, oh, well, he only won because of Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Kobe, and Shaq. When it comes down to it, when the when Phil Jackson has won. He's won gloriously. And obviously we've seen the, his success ratio from that. But when it comes down to it, do you think in your mind, seeing how the season played out, is there anything that Phil Jackson might have done differently in your eyes? Maybe that could have you know, yielded a different result? At that point, Phil Jackson uh, had probably had enough of Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant was getting to that stage where he was stubborn and being that he was involved in the situation he was in exasperated that the fact that Shaq was coming up on his last season's contract and wanted more money. And that summer Shaq at a, in a preseason game pointed at Dr. Buss and said, pay me mother effort. And I remember thinking about that going and starting to dislike Shaq at that point. And Phil, at the end of the season, he came out with a book called The Last Season, a, uh, a Team in Search of Their their Soul. I think that's what it's called. Uh, yeah. And he he did things in that book that I don't, I, I wasn't in agreement with. You don't, you don't talk about what's going on in the locker room. If you want to say Shaq, uh, you know, broke a door, stuff like that. I still think it was too fresh. Don't no, you? it doesn't matter if it's too fresh. I'm just not a. I'm not a big fan of of. That's a private moment. That's a private. That's that's for the team to to keep in indoors. Uh, if you want to talk about fun things, and you've got that here, I'll, I'll give you this. If you've got the blessings of the players, then that's a different story. But I don't. I think there were some things there that I, I don't believe he should have talked about. Um, uh, he he had he had. I think Phil had kind of thought that Phil, that Kobe was maybe guilty, and he made it maybe not abundantly clear. But there was there was that notion there. It's kind of like Jamie with his uh, assessment on that whole situation. Yeah, don't get us started on that because I got a whole lot of hate mail on that. Well, uh, it doesn't matter at, at this point. The point is this, you know, we, no one knows really what's going on. And I don't like when people think they know what's going on. I know that there was stuff written and read, but we don't know. 
And that's one way or the other. Let's just yeah, make it fair. One, yeah, way, or one the way, way or the other. You don't know. And it stop. And that's that's a, that's something I'm I'm very adamant about in real life. Were you there? No. Then shut the f up. You weren't there. If you want to believe it, believe it. If you don't want to believe it, it doesn't matter. You don't know. And that's the point. I would like to look back on that that year. If if that incident doesn't happen, I don't think the team is in turmoil. I mean, I almost look at that season as look at what they went through and they still made it to the finals. It's pretty, pretty phenomenal uh, in terms of the talent and the, the execution that year. Imagine if they, if Kobe didn't do what he, you know, what, you know, Shaq, you know, he kind of threw Shaq under the bus on an interview uh, with the, with the cops and that created the rift there. There's just a lot of stuff, a lot of emotional stuff that went on. And until the last series, they were professional enough to continue to do what they needed to do, but they just couldn't, they just couldn't finish it. And their bodies, the bodies said, no, you know, again, losing Rick Fox, losing, not really having a fresh Derek Fisher, Horace Grant, not really being able to play, having to start Slava Medvedenko. It was, it was a recipe for disaster. All, all, all in one at the worst time playing against a team that reminded me a little bit of the 89 uh, Pistons in that they were struggling up until the deadline. And then they made the trade for Rasheed Wallace after I think Rasheed Wallace was in Atlanta for like two minutes. (laughs) And then they got Rasheed Wallace Uh, back in 89, the Pistons were struggling uh, uh, before the deadline as well. And that's when they decided to trade Dantley for Mark Aguirre and Mark Mark Aguirre doesn't get enough credit for taking his ego. I mean, Mark, Mark McGuire had a huge ego, but the fact that he's the one that offered to come off the bench and let Dennis Rodman start, that was, that was like a wrap. Once he did that, the Pistons were likely going to win the championship in 89 and they did. So the two Piston uh, titles in 89 and 2004 had selfless players be selfless at the perfect time against two Laker teams that were decimated by injury in both those series. And I go back and forth on those two series a lot in terms of the hate of losing because the Lakers were on their way to a three-peat, a way to send Kareem Abdul-Jabbar out a champion with a seventh title. The Lakers would finish the 80s with six titles and a three-peat. But unfortunately, you know, the hamstrings uh, on on Byron Scott and and, and Magic Johnson did not comply. Uh, And then, of course, in 04, we had the similar situation with Karl Malone. And then really the the mainstays like Rick Fox and Derek Fisher not being healthy. Uh, it's, It's just... It never, it never goes away. The disdain never goes away because it, it made the point four shot irrelevant. That's the, that's probably the biggest bummer, if any, if anything, in terms of that season. Like you had this 04 moment. I remember I was in Vegas. I was there for the uh, Roy Jones Jr. Antonio Tarver two fight, and I was bouncing back and forth during the undercards to to watch the game, and then finally when. Antonio uh, Tarver and, and, and Roy Jones start walking to the ring. I, it was right when halftime started, so I had some time to kind of like, you know, wait it out. And then, of course, we all know what happened. By the way, that is the greatest sporting event I've ever been to in my entire life, or at least the feeling was the greatest. When Tarver hit him, hit Roy Jones. At this point, Roy Jones Jr. was Mayweather of, of that time. Uh, when he hit him with the left... I heard this and this and every single ass in that arena stood up at the same time and went, oh, and you could feel 18,000, 20,000 people just, "Mm." and then of course, Roy Jones was out, didn't get up and I jetted out. It was in the middle of the third quarter, and that's when the Lakers start separating from the Spurs. This is game five, by the way, after after point four. And then I and at that point, guys, uh, when whoever won the Spurs Lakers series won the title. So 
I was extremely excited that night knowing that the Lakers were going to win four out of five, not a four. What the, what the hell are you laughing about? Just magic, man. Just, uh, just enjoying the chat. Let's go ahead. You laugh yeah. for five straight minutes. What's so funny? I'm reading what's there. I don't see anything funny. Magic man. Let me ask you this though. Bringing you back in my friend, when it comes to what you saw, the game plan by Larry Brown, Larry Brown, you know, I know he gets maligned all over the place as far as his vagabond nature about him hopping all over from team to team, to team, to team, to team, to team. But I think this is his one or his probably his best coaching job I've ever seen him do. I don't know if you guys will agree with me or not, but it's it's my evaluation that that's the way he set out these guys. Guys, none of them were at an elite level ever in their careers, in my opinion. The, some of them were very good, a lot mm-hmm. of very good players. Mm-hmm. Some of them even made the you know the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. But I never would con, you know consider any of them at an elite level as far as in the upper echelon, as far as the levels Kobe and Shaq or Carl Malone or even Gary Payton, you know, achieved at the height of their careers. So that being said, he found a way to scheme against the Los Angeles Lakers and work that worked against them, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers in those finals. Tell me about what your thoughts are and how, you know, that, that finals progressed once the Lakers and the Pistons met in the, in the NBA finals. Well, Gerald didn't, and, obviously hindsight and retrospect here it was kind of like a that particular finals was kind of a mushroom cloud for one area one era at sprouting another one i i i think um you know in the late 70s and early 80s the aba um brought in the three-point shot and then the nba adopted the three-point shot and players like larry bird Players like Kiki Vandeweghe, players like uh, Michael Jordan used the three-point line as a weapon. And coaches like Doug Moe use it for the entire team. Uh, Different eras create different uh, styles. And in the early 2000s, illegal defense was phased out eventually. And they were going to phase out hand-checking. But it's kind of funny, Gerald. What was the last finals that featured hand-checking? It'd be the the Lakers and the Pistons. That's the last season that hand-checking You could also say the Lakers and Celtics. That series was so physical. Well, one thing that that the Pistons obviously don't really get credit for, and they really should, is that they used the rules at the time to their advantage when they were being phased out. So I like that. That was a great question you asked. Could Phil Jackson have done anything else? No, not based on the personnel that the Pistons had and the rules in which they were able to uh, use that length to impede drives. As L. Rob said, as Lee said, they were fine living with Shaq and going against Ben and uh, Ashid. They were fine with that. It was impeding drives because they knew other than Kobe drilled, there wasn't really any Lakers on there who could drive. I mean, God bless him, Devin George tried, but I mean, he wasn't really a threat. And you have Tayshawn Prince, who's 6'9", long as a pterodactyl. I mean, with the with the ability of them to bring to bring those doubles and hand check. There was nothing the Lakers could do. It was at that point in time, it was a talent issue, and a per and a and a scheme issue. There was nothing that Phil could have done differently that would have changed the outcome of that series. Now, if Carl Malone is healthy, and I don't know, maybe maybe Kobe has a couple of different looks. Maybe it goes to six, maybe. But Detroit had the pers- the right personnel to be able to shut down that offense show. Remember, this is a team that had 20 games in the playoffs where they held their opponent to 45% or less shooting as a team. So there was rarely two guys who could heat up against them. They usually, they usually were fine. If one guy did two, 
mm, be really hard pressed to find it because that defense was smothering. After they got sheet, they didn't they didn't allow I think more more than a hundred points. I think less than three or four times, Gerald. I mean, they were really they were really stalwarts. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, my friend. So, and and I will say this. I think you're right about Larry Brown's job with them. Although I think he had less talent on that Sixers squad that made the finals than this Detroit team as far as defensive personnel. But he didn't get the job done. This time Mm -hmm. he got the job done. He let out a game plan. And you can see the way, even if you just look at the box scores, when Shaquille O'Neal scores 36 and the team itself only scores 80 like they did in game four, the Lakers only scored 68 in game three. Yes, they never reached 100 points at any time in the series. That tells you right there just exactly how good the defensive lowdown was for Larry Brown. But if I may, I'm going to bring it right back to you in a second, Magic Man. But let me get L. Rob in here. L. Rob. You know, you live in the Detroit area. You're familiar with that community as far as how they felt about that team. But as a Lakers fan in that area at that time, or just basically understanding of that time, excuse me, what are your thoughts as far as how the Lakers were to you in that finals, but also as well, well, how was the community in relation to as far as how were they accepting of the Detroit Pistons of that era? Yeah, they, um, you know, they really, the Pistons believed they had beat a very good Indiana team, tough series. You know, of course, I I root for the Pistons when they're good, but then when they get to the point where they can challenge the Lakers, I usually go the other way and want them to lose. <laughs> um, so at that point, I definitely was not, I was hoping Indiana could take them down. I think it was. 2-2 and Rashid guaranteed they win the next game. That's when Reggie Miller had a layup to probably win the game. And he doesn't dunk it and Tayshawn chases him down, blocks the shot. Indiana wins in seven. Pistons had a lot of momentum coming into the finals and they had a belief. They had a strong, strong belief. Um, you know, I worked with um, uh, their, their PA guy, Mason, is a radio guy. So I worked with Mason like 18 years very you know good friends with them so when he started doing that detroit basketball thing then oh man i mean the whole arena would rock and you know when i'm at home watching the game you know before the game my sister's taunting me detroit basketball (laughs) i gotta hear somebody else say this so the pistons i mean they were you know they, they weren't spoiled as like the Lakers. The Lakers, we expect to win. The Pistons knew that they would have to bring their A game and bring it to the Lakers. And, you know, and rereading some of the stuff in 2004, Rick Fox said the Lakers didn't have a respect for the Pistons. He talked about how they thought they would steamroll them, how Theo tried to warn them, saying, hey, guys, you know, this Detroit team is going to be really tough, and it doesn't seem like the Lakers, you know, took heed to it. Um so, you know, that was a really good team. Like you said, they didn't have any individual great players. Rasheed Wallace couldn't have been a great player if he wanted to. I mean, he had all the skills and all the tools, but Rasheed was content to be a number two, number three guy. He never really wanted to be the best player, even though he had the skill set to do it. And he was probably the most talented person. Ben Wallace was just a grinder. He was a worker. Rick was fit good into their system and Chauncey was coming into his own hitting the big shot. So it was kind of perfect timing, but they had a real deep bench memo, memo core. They had Corliss Williamson. They had, you know, they had easy E was even playing hard from our Laker days. They owned Campbell. Like I said, Lindsay Hunter and, and you know, uh, those guys coming off the bench was playing tough. Pistons had a tough team. Coach Ham, you know, was on that championship team. Ham. Um, Larry Brown, if Russell Westbrook had Larry Brown as his coach early in his career, he would be a much better player today. He made Chauncey Billups a real, real true point guard, and he would demand it of him. You know, he wouldn't let those guys go out and just do whatever he wanted to do. He was a great coach, great coach. He had a lot of success with a lot of teams. You know, he was on that those Denver teams um, 
like like I think Sean mentioned when the NBA merged and the Nuggets were one of the best teams coming from the ABA. That was Larry Brown with David Thompson and Isso and and uh, uh, Bobby Jones and those guys coming over. Uh, you know, he had Indiana playing at a good clip with 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 uh, those guys he had over there. Should I, he had even um, who did he, when he was with San Antonio, David Robinson and Terry Cummins and Willie Anderson and uh, young Sean Elliott. You know, mm-hmm. every team Larry Brown went to until he got, you know, a little too old. I think he kind of passed them by. But he pretty much maxed the talent on that team. So, um, but you can only, you know, like a lot of great coaches, you that stuff grates on you after a while. And I think somebody like Larry Brown has a expiration date. If you can take it for a little while, then after a while, it's like, look, we're tired of this. So What's I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah. No, you did. You did a great job. Absolutely. Was, I was trying to get a feel of what it was like. Detroit was crazy. It was, it was one. They were outside of the Lakers hotel, this fancy hotel in Birmingham. And, you know, they were making a ruckus all, all night, just, you know, all night, just, you know, doing Celtics type stuff to the Lakers. So they couldn't get to sleep, you know, out partying and making noise outside the Lakers hotel to three and four in the morning. There was reports of that. Um, so it was crazy. It was crazy time. We're signaling the ref for a quick timeout, but we'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. So, Magic Man, let me bring it back to you, and then I'll bring it back to Joe. Once again, it is the Lakers Fast Break. Lakers History 101, Lakers Fast Break University. Welcome, class, students. I hope you're taking attention, because if you're not taking notes, it'll affect your outcome on the finals before winter break absolutely let me ask you this magic man when it comes to what we saw with the pistons pistons when they look at that roster as l rob said he rattled off a number of names that while they may be forgotten about by many in nba lore that's a good rotation and i think the strength in numbers is probably the reason why they ended up winning and being so dominant. Just the defense that the strength in numbers. Because when I look at that roster, I see defender, big guy, muscle, defense. I don't see a lot of shot making. I see enough with Richard Hamilton. They didn't need a whole lot when it came to shot making. They just were bruisers. They reminded so many people of those bad boys Pistons era. I think that to me, this team, again, strength in numbers, I think, was a key for them in their rotation, Magic Man. Uh, I, I think you'd have to say that as well, Gerald. Um, you know, and let's let's be frank here. Um, do of that playoffs, Gerald, do you think that the Lakers provided the Pistons with their toughest test? I, I don't want to say that yes, because obviously the, the numbers don't appear to be that way. I mean, the Lakers could barely muster, you know, at one point in time, they couldn't even muster 70 points in one of those games. So, uh, you know, some of their Eastern Conference series uh, looked like they were a little bit better contested than what the Lakers offered. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, you know, this, again, uh, you know, L. Rob kind of mentioned it. Uh, they had a tough stretch there before they turned it around. The Nets and series was particularly close. That was into seven games. Of course, it went to seven games. That's what I'm saying. They they were battle tested already. They had the they had the medal for it. And I I just think that uh, you know there was a belief there. So that series to me was the toughest one that they had to get through. And um it was it was it was hard fought. Championship teams have a little dirt on them, Gerald, and get a little bit muddy. I mean, you talked about Lindsey Hunter. Lindsey Hunter was on uh, on a lake on a couple Lakers championships uh, in the early 2000s. So, I mean, that's a guy who's battle tested. 
I, I just think that it was the right team with the right scheme, uh, with the rules changing um, just enough where they could take advantage of it. It just seemed that all the all the confluences of a river allowed the salmon to get out into the ocean, Gerald. They didn't have to get worried about dying. So I ask you this, Joe, when it comes to this team in Detroit, the most surprising thing is, yes, I talked about the strength in numbers. I talked, talked about the quality of rotation players they had. This was despite the LeBron James draft. Now, remember, LeBron James was a rookie in this year, Joe. But drafted right behind him was one of the biggest draft busts that the Detroit Pistons actually ended up drafting, yet not needing, and still won a championship with in Darko Milicic. Just imagine, they could have had their cha their chances with Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade. A number of names on that list down below could have even served them better. Yet they didn't get it done in the draft, but they certainly got it done in the NBA Finals. Joe, Joe Dumars cost the Pistons at least a back-to-back -back title by not drafting Carmelo Anthony. And I find it comical that some folks, uh, even NBA players, said that Carmelo Anthony on that team would have thrown things off a little. I started laughing. I said, thrown things how? He played for Jim Beheim. He had just won an NCAA championship. He's going to come into an environment where he's a rookie, and he's going to be the, the best scorer on that team on a consistent basis. The 2005 Spurs do not win the title if Carmelo Anthony is a piston. It's that simple. In 2006, the Heat beat the Pistons. You know, maybe they might actually go to the finals three years in a row. So, boy, did he botch that. Now, if I was a Pistons fan, I'd be, I'd still be irate about that. But um, I don't care what anyone says. Uh, you want to give credit to the Pistons, fine. Uh, that, that's fine by me. I, I think it's warranted. But I'm, I refuse to, to believe that a prime Shaq, even though he was getting ready to get out of his prime, uh, he should have won the MVP in 2005. By well, the way, a so. fully healthy Lakers team with well, I, guys in the right mindset you, you have, would have been you have, different. You have Shaq and Kobe on your team. You should be able to figure it out, especially against a team like the Pistons. This wasn't the, you know, Tim Duncan, David Robinson team or, or you know, you're not playing against Jordan and Pippen. This was, a, this was probably the best role player, non-Hall of Fame player in my book on the team. I know Ben Wallace made the Hall of Fame, but – I have completely different different uh, criteria for Hall of Famers than 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 the than the basketball Hall of Fame does. But that team was uh, a, a team full of role players that won a championship in a in, in a in a freak situation, and it just happened to be against the best modern day center and the best modern day, well, I should say, at that era, uh, shooting guard and. That's what makes the story weird is you beat Kobe and Shaq at their peak because the mental part of the game wasn't there. Too many distractions. Yes, injuries played a part in it. But I would like to think that if you have Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant in their primes on the same team, I believe they should have figured it out. Your thoughts exactly, L. Rob? Or do you have something different in mind when it concerns what happened in the NBA Finals? Pistons were the better team. Um, Kobe, Phil, most of the Lakers would say, I mean, yes, Kobe shooting them out of it, that uh, that was a problem. You ask, could the Lakers do anything differently? I don't know how they did it. Could have done anything differently. They switched Kobe on Chauncey. That slowed up Chauncey a little bit. Uh, but then rips start going off. Um, you know, uh, Chauncey said that, you know what, they would just call a pick and roll. It didn't matter who was guarding them. They'd call a pick and roll, draw Shaq out on the paint, and whenever he got a big man on him, he would start dancing. And we couldn't we couldn't corral him. But Kobe just talked and talked about, to him, um, they just didn't have that chemistry that uh, when they faced the Larry Brown team in the finals in, in 01, his teams were tough too, but the Lakers were so 
such a well-oiled machine at that time, they could go to their third, their fourth, their fifth option on, on the triangle and still execute and 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 defeat them uh, against the Pistons. He said when once the first option broke down, they just weren't a cohesive enough group. And I would say probably a talented enough group. You know, you, you talk about Kareem Rush as your number, you know, two guard off the uh, shooting guard off the bench. Um, Devin George, I think he was a he was a very young player. Um, Lakers just didn't really have that that depth. They were top heavy. Once GP um, got taken out of the game mentally and Carl was slowed down, they did not have a good enough team to beat the Pistons. It's a team game, and they just didn't have a, a good enough team. So no, I, I don't. I don't lament that too much. It's hard when you're getting beat by 20 points. I mean, they like you said, they didn't even score 70 points one game. They got blew out 88 to 68. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't make a shot. Rick Fox was injured. He was at the end of the road. He's injured. I mean, you know, they picked up Brian Russell. He couldn't play any longer. I mean, who do who who do we have that was going to combat them? The Pistons were deep and tough. They were running ten dudes out there who all could play, and we're running Kobe and Shaq. Uh, Fish, you know, he struggled a little bit. Couldn't hit shots. He emotionally said it was a tough season for him because he had gone from Hey, I'm a three-time champ, and now I'm coming off the bench. Um, GP fought it himself. He, you know, he said, "Hey, I, I should have been more aggressive." Um, and he kind of let the triangle trying to run the system, and and but he felt he should have been more aggressive. I agree. He he he. More than anything, it was him and him and Kobe. Kobe being too aggressive, and 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 GP not being aggressive enough. He was the only person with the talent. I thought they could compete with the Pistons. And he didn't step up in that series, so I was happy to see him find, you know, redeem himself and getting a, getting a, get a ring with, um, with the Heat a few years later. But he was the guy, and um, just goes to show, as good as you are, when it's somebody else's time, and you're going up against a young, talented player, which Chauncey Billups was. Um, you don't care about how many All Star games you have or, or your accolades. That he, he just couldn't, he couldn't compete. Um, and he just got discouraged. I mean, we've seen in the San Antonio series. Did they bench him in that San Antonio series when they got down two zip? I mean, that was the first red flag. We went down two zip. I remember, I think Phil took him out in the clutch. I don't know if he benched him again, but I know he took him out, and GP kind of lost it. And he mm-hmm. came back and redeemed himself a little bit, but well, Tony GP, Parker G- was GP, having his way with him. GP was getting burned by Tony Parker the first yeah. two games. And then yeah. what happened was they adjusted, and uh, GP started uh, uh, posting him up and beating him up okay. in the in the block. And then any time Tony Parker got to the basket, he was getting shellacked by Shaq. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, and that's the part, guys. That's the part that I, I know. Carl Malone was healthy in that series, healthy enough to 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 kind of combat Tim Duncan. He did a couple of magical chairs. Uh, on him and he, he really held his own against uh against Tim Duncan. And that's the point, guys. That's the point we're getting at. I I, I think that the Lakers should have adjusted at some point. If they were able to adjust to San Antonio and win four straight, they should have well, remember been Carl got hurt too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Once Carl got hurt, I think that was Carl got, I mean Carl got hurt. What did he get hurt? Late in game. So so when they or? when when they yeah. did when they did take the ball out of Kobe and Shaq's hands, who was delivering? Because as no, as no Rob, way. yeah, as see that that was that was that was also I I thought um, obviously a misstep by Kupchik, not realizing that you needed somebody else on the perimeter when a long, but team, uh, but you know what, Gerald, he might have been looking for that player and not found him. But at the same time, the Lakers still had draft picks to play with at that point in time to upgrade. And uh, you know, look looking at the looking at the rosters now, you would have thought that they definitely would have tried something because there's nobody else on that team that would have been able to. Because the same thing happened in the Celtics series, Gerald, except there was no hand checking. Tibbs. Tibbs doubles were a little more sophisticated and exotic, but other than the hand checking, 
He took the ball out of Kobe's hands, impeded his ability to drive to the basket, and nobody else was able to to score. It was kind of a play. There was kind of a playbook for how to guard Kobe and the Lakers after that. I'll tell you what, though, a lot of memories from that season. Go ahead, L. Rob. You wanted to go ahead and. Uh... Yeah, no, I was. I just took a quick peek because I remember being frustrated with with when when Chauncey and those guys went to the whole shack. I mean, he would not. He 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 did not have a good defensive series. As dominant as he was on the offensive end, um. You know, he had uh, a total of three block shots in the series. A total of three block shots. Um, he'll get on TNT and he'll roast, you know, Anthony Davis and those guys and say, hey, I'll give you 30 and 20 and, you know, but Shaq had three block shots in the finals. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, nobody on the Lakers team was without blame. You know, Kobe you know, gets the, the lion's share because who, to whom much is given, much is required. He gets the lion's share. He was terrible, bad shot selection. Uh, next was GP. He got roasted, taken out of his series. Um, can't count on any role guys, so I don't give him much flack. But Shaq, you know, he got outplayed by Ben Wallace of some of those games. Ben was just out hustling him, and he was everywhere. And it's like, Shaq, pick up your energy, dude. You're getting 10 rebounds and three blocks. Come on. It's oh, funny. Uh, it's funny you say that, El Rob. I, I, when the discussion of Zion Williamson came up about being out of shape, and Shaq started talking, I was like, <laughs> I would have stayed away from that one, Shaq. I know Shaq had a much better career, obviously, but Shaq left a couple titles on the table because he wanted to eat and and party more, right? Yeah, and then Shaq did say, hey, Zion, I'm talking to you from a position of someone who knows I, I was in your position, so take it from me. I Get still wouldn't have said anything. <laughs> and the loss yeah, itself. Shaq and Charles, not exactly the two most physically, you know, fit athletes. Yeah, this is true. Them giving advice on that subject is not, I don't know, i it's hard to take sometimes, especially. I agree with the uh, Samurai Beast, by the way. Welcome. I think this is the first time I've seen you. I actually remember watching uh, several plays where Chauncey Billups was just, he just would move and he'd get called, he'd get a foul called on. I mean, it was, oh, it's the worst finals loss of my three finals loss as an adult viewing. There's so many things that a team loses. There's so much history that changes. The difference between Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James is those finals losses. And this finals loss led to a parting of the ways as far as the disparity between Shaq and Kobe, the bitterness, the feud, whatever you want to say. It it's just did not make things better. It only made things worse. And we saw what came out of that. But that's another tale and another class for another day. But it is the Lakers 2003-2004 season. I want to thank Professors L. Rob, Joe Soro, and Professor Magic Man Sean Grice for being here, for attending class today, and being able to give you the lecture on the 2003-2004 Lakers. But also as well, a big shout out to you students from all of us here, the faculty of Lakers Fast Break University. It's Gerald Glass from Dean of University Studies here at Lakers Fast Break University. Tomorrow, we'll be back. San Antonio, once again, on the docket. We'll go ahead and bring you the usual pregame. And, of course, join us during the game, playback.tv slash Lakers Fast Break, and also as well the postgame. The best postgame for the Lakers, there's no better around than right here. I've got some things I want to say, especially about some emails that have been sent to us here recently as well. So I've got some things mm-hmm. to say about that on tomorrow's show. So for Joe Sorrell, L. Rob and Magic Man Sean Grice. It's Gerald Glassford. Thanks so much for joining us, class. But it is truly appreciated that you join us here at LFBU. Class is now dismissed.